0: Um, You know, there's a story of a woman who left her husband. Uh, By the way, this is not an opening joke. I know I like, I tell jokes, but this is not a joke, so I'm not sending you. I don't want to disappoint you. There's no punchline, okay? But there is a story of a woman who left her husband, and after a while, the husband called the police to file a missing persons report. A few weeks later, the police found her a few counties over, uh, living in a rundown hotel. And they asked the husband if he wanted to be taken to her, but he declined. Instead, realizing how badly he treated her, uh, he decided to write her love letters. And he did this for several months without receiving any reciprocation. And then finally, after a while, the husband went to see her and asked her to come home, and she did. And so on the way home, he asked, I've written you love letters for months. Why did you wait until now to come home? And she replied, because those were just letters. This time, you came in person. And church, this story reminds us that there's an inseparable link between love and action, isn't there? I mean, it's one thing to say that I love Carrie, right? I mean, but I could say that I love Carrie all day, but unless I show love to Carrie, my words are kind of futile and meaningless. And now, within a marriage, the action of showing love may not always come easy. In fact, anyone who's married will tell you that it takes work, and sometimes it's downright hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's Burdensome. Why? Because she's my wife. I mean, I should want to show love to my wife, right? If I don't want to show love to my wife, then I got a heart problem, right? Maybe hard, but it shouldn't be burdensome. Well, see, the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. You see, it's one thing to say that we love Jesus, but it's only empty words unless we show that we love Jesus. And the way that we show that we love him Is through obedience. And yes, just like a marriage, showing our love to Jesus may not always come easy. In fact, it may be downright hard sometimes. But for a believer, again, it should never be burdensome. Why? Because he's our Savior. He saved us from the pit of hell. I mean, it should be our joy to want to show our love to him. Otherwise, we got heart problems if we're believers, right? Am I speaking truth? 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this: For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, it should not be a burden for a believer to keep God's commandments. Maybe hard, but not a burden. And and church, this is all to say that love uh, for God is proven by obedience to God. That may sound kind of harsh and black and white, but that's what scripture teaches. And in fact, this morning, as we continue our study in the Gospel of John, we're going to find Jesus emphasizing this point three separate times. And when Jesus emphasizes a point three separate times in a short period of time, it means that we should probably pay close attention to it. However, this is is the best part of the whole thing. In emphasizing this point, Jesus is also going to show us that when it comes to walking in obedience... He will supply every need, every step of the way. And that brings us to today's truth to remember the power to obey God is provided by God. The power to obey God is provided by God. So if you will, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, got the page number on the screen, it's page 901. And as you guys are turning there, I'm just going to pray and ask God's blessing on our time and his word. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to dive back into the Gospel of John. It's a wonderful, wonderful Gospel, and and there's so many amazing truths. And Lord, as we enter into today's passage where you uh, provide and you show us the helper that you've given to us, uh, Lord, this is heavy stuff, um, but it's amazing and it should be encouraging to us today. And I just pray, Lord, that I would speak your truth this morning. And that your Holy Spirit, even as we we sang earlier uh, to you, Lord, that you would just uh, show us, God, what you want to show us through your word. Convict our hearts, Lord, and and just let us sense uh, a closeness to you even today. And all God's people said, amen. You know, I I think instinctively most believers are not uh, or want to obey God and love them with their lives. Like, I find it hard to imagine uh, if I were to go up to a believer and they say to me, you know, I want to do everything I can today to, to disobey God and show him how much I don't love him. Like, like most believers, if you're a true believer, you're, I don't think you're going to say that. You're going to have some good days and bad days, but you're not really going to say, you know what, I'm going to purposely do everything I can to show God how much I don't love him today, and I'm going to disobey him. But at the same time, if I took a random poll of believers many would admit that they struggle with obedience. Especially in the current state of our culture. I mean, think about it. Our culture is becoming increasingly more and more post-Christian. And the thought of standing up for Christ and carrying on his work and representing him well seems like an insurmountable task. And because of this, rather than be the, the city on a hill that God's called us to be, we cower in the valley, don't we? Even the disciples, Christ's closest followers, struggled with this dilemma. They, too, wrestled with how they would carry on Christ's work in a culture that was hostile toward them. But as we're going to see this morning, Jesus provided them and us with the answer. In fact, in today's study, Jesus is going to reveal three provisions that all believers can claim in their walk with God. Provisions that should encourage us and motivate us to walk in obedience despite the hostile culture around us. Provisions that come in and through the Holy Spirit. And so I want to dive right in this morning. Let's look at the first provision. It's the provision of his help. Provision of his help. So we're in our Bibles, John 14. Let's read verses 15 through 20. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know, a few years ago, my family and I went to Ocean City, New Jersey, with my aunt over the summer on vacation. And uh, she really wanted to take us out to eat at this uh, restaurant that played live music, live reggae music. And so we were all over that, right? And so we went, and I got my fish sandwich and, you know, whatever. And and, and so the reggae band came out. And they started playing this song, and in the, in the, whoever was singing it, he kept repeating the same line over and over and over again for like 20 minutes everything gonna be all right everything gonna be all right everything want to keep going gonna be all right and so and so we're like you know we're we're we're, we're grooving to this right and so, but that became the mantra of our trip. After we had that dinner, we were like, man, this guy really believes everything's going to be all right. And so, <laughs> the, the whole rest of the trip, whenever anything came up, you know, we were afraid of, of sharks in the water, and we were afraid of this or that. Say, so, hey, kids, remember, everything's going to be all right, all right? Well, uh, this morning, Jesus, uh, in, in today's passage, he was about to go to the cross and depart from his disciples. And even though they would see him for a short period of time following the resurrection, it wouldn't be long before Jesus ascended into heaven and left the disciples for good. And so naturally this would have caused great distress to his closest followers. After all, Jesus was their rock, their security, their help. And the thought of carrying on Christ's work without him was like, wow, it made them really distraught. But here Jesus assures them that everything was going to be all right. Because absence does not mean unavailable. You see, even though Jesus would soon leave them physically, he promised that he would remain with them spiritually through the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on your Bible translation, verse 16 may read helper, advocate, counselor, or comforter. But all these English words stem from the Greek word parakletos, which means called alongside to assist. You see, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would, would be the disciples' permanent source of help and he would work in and through them to carry on Christ's work. And friends, the promise of the Holy Spirit wasn't just limited to the disciples. It's for anyone, anyone who places their faith in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what? believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it reads, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You see, at the very moment of belief, in addition to receiving the free gift of eternal life, we receive the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, indwells a believer. Like, think about that for a second. If you are a believer in Jesus today, if you've placed your faith in him for your salvation, God's spirit right now is dwelling in you. Isn't that amazing? And just like the promise of eternal life, the presence of the Holy Spirit is permanent. In other words, we can never lose the Holy Spirit's indwelling if we're believers. And so consequently, consequently it's the Holy Spirit who enables us and empowers us and helps us to carry on Christ's work. However, and this is a, a big however, even though we can never lose the Holy Spirit's indwelling, we can, as believers, quench the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. In writing to believers, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. That command would not have been given if we didn't have the ability to quench the Spirit. Are you with me? And see, over the Christmas break, I had a wonderful conversation with an Amish pastor in upstate New York. How many of you guys knew Amish were up in the upstate New York? Anybody? Too many of you. I didn't know that they were up there. Um, <laughs> I thought they only existed in Lancaster. Um, but I had a, it was a really nice Amish pastor. And, and if you know anything about uh, the Amish people, you know that one of their distinctives is limiting their use of power. Uh, for example, most Amish shy away from using electricity or powered vehicles or powered tools unless you give it to them. Um, uh, and, and, of course, by limiting their use of power, their day-to-day life, uh, is much more difficult. Well, in the same way, when we resist the Holy Spirit's power we make our day-to-day lives much more difficult as believers. Why? Because simply put, we cannot, church, we cannot do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit's help. We can't do it. We cannot do it without God's help. And I think this is part of the reason why we struggle with obedience. It's because we're trying to do it in our own strength. You see, Charles Spurgeon said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. As an offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unaccepted. Can't do it without God's help. You know, when you build a campfire, there's a certain way that you have to place the wood, right? If you place it the wrong way, the fire won't burn at full capacity. If you decide to place the wood your own way instead of the right way, then you're going to smother the fire. Now, the embers, they, they may still be burning on the, deep on the inside of that fire. The, you know, the embers are still burning, but, but they're kind of useless unless you stack the wood the right way. And see, church, this is a picture of what it looks like for a believer to quench the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. They're trying to stack the wood their own way instead of doing it God's way. Fire's still burning in there, but it's, it's kind of useless unless you're actually doing it the right way. Are you with me? And so all this to say it was never God's intention for his children to go it alone. Jesus has given us a promise through the Holy Spirit to be an ever-present help to us. However, the only way that we can obtain the full breadth of this promise is by releasing complete control to him. Galatians 5.25 says it best, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This leads us to the second provision. The provision of his love. The provision of his love. Let's look at verses 21 to 24. Jesus said, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Now, for those of you who are married, what do the books Love and Respect, His Needs, Her Needs, and The Five Love Languages all have in common? And I'll give you a hint, it's not free shipping for Prime members. You know what they have in common? They all reveal, well, I had to read them all. Carrie made me read them all. But beyond that, they all reveal how to have the best possible relationship with your spouse. And the formula for success in really all the books is generally the same. You get out of the relationship, what you put into the relationship Now, when a husband and wife commit to pursuing one another and and putting each other's needs ahead of their own and, and everything is working and clicking the way it should, you know what happens? You grow closer to your spouse. You begin to learn new things about your spouse. And you begin to develop a deeper love relationship with your spouse. Well, church, we know that even on our worst day, even on our worst day, God will never stop loving his children. Nothing could ever separate us from his love. It is unconditional. And while this is a blessing in and of itself, God promises a special love and a deeper relationship, a deeper disclosure of himself when we yield to the Holy Spirit and we walk in obedience to him. We pursue our we love relationship with him. Warren Wiersbe beautifully notes, he says, when a sinner trusts Christ, he's born again and the Spirit immediately enters his body and bears witness that he is a child of God. The Spirit is resident and will not depart. Now listen, but as the believer yields to the Father, loves the Word, prays and obeys, there is a deeper relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. I love this. Salvation means we are going to heaven, but submission means heaven is coming to us. In this section of scripture, Jesus used two phrases to illustrate this point to his disciples. Verse 21, he said, I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then in verse 23, we will come to him and make our home with him. In both instances, Jesus is referring to this holy intimacy, a deeper revelation, a closer fellowship uh, that can only develop when we yield to the Holy Spirit and we walk in Obedience. I mean, it makes sense, right? The more you obey God's commands, like the more you learn to trust Him and, and trust His word and, and lean on Him, like it makes sense. Do- doesn't it make sense? You obey, you're going to trust God more, you're going to see Him come through and be faithful, right? Uh, Roger uh, Staubach, I, be- I believe it's pronounced Staubach, uh, was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. In fact, I don't even care if I'm pronouncing his name right because he was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but, but he led them to a Super Bowl victory in 1971. Again, I, I don't, this is the last time you're ever going to hear me talk about the Cowboys, probably, from the pulpit. But anyway, later he admitted uh, that his position as quarterback, who didn't call his own signals, was a source of trial for him. Uh, Coach Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in emergency situations could he change the play. Now, even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, he pridefully thought that that he should be able to run his own team. And so Roger had a decision to make. Would he allow pride to rule his life and do things his way? Or would he listen to the coach and do what he wanted? The quarterback later said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, victory. And, and friends, the same rule applies when it comes to growing in our relationship with the Lord. Because God is a genius, so to speak. Spiritual genius. He knows what's best for his children. And even though it may be hard at times when we learn to trust and obey him, there's harmony and fulfillment and victory. And you know what? In those moments when we're weak in those moments of sin, in in those moments where there is no harmony in our relationship with God, there's no fulfillment, there's no victory, in those moments of weakness when we wander off the beaten path, we sing about it, right? We're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. In those moments, the Holy Spirit is always there to remind us of God's truth and get us back on the right track. You know, I, as being the former youth pastor here, I've seen this, and I'm, and I'm still seeing it today. You know, I, there's been teenagers that, 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 that were under my care who have graduated years ago and, and, and went off and just, you know, did whatever they wanted to do, right? And um, not all of them, but some of them do. And, and, and they make some mistakes along the way, and they struggle. But then, then they come back, maybe years later, you know, and, and it's just something prompts them. And, and I'm like, that's, 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 that's the Holy Spirit working in their lives, you know. We're prone to wander, but the Holy Spirit's eventually going to start prompting our hearts and convict us and, and, and come back to the truth. And so we've got to trust the Holy Spirit uh, when we see those that we love who are believers go astray. If they truly have the Spirit of God living in them, they're gonna, God's going to work in their hearts. But anyway, verses 25 and 26 says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. And here's the promise, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and here it is, bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. You know, one of the greatest inventions in modern time is Google Reminder. I can't live without Google Reminder. You know, if I need to be reminded of something, I say, hey, Google, I just wanted to see if your cell phones are on. Apparently not. Good job. I would say, hey, Google, remind me of such and such on such and such time, on such and such date. And you know what happens? When that time comes, Google reminds me. It's amazing. I mean, Google has gotten me out of a lot of problems and a lot of jams. Google, remind me a week before my anniversary. Google, remind me of Carrie's birthday. Google, remind me of other birthdays. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, wow. Google's there. It's like all of a sudden, like a week ago, because it was Carrie's birthday on Friday, a week ago, boom, Carrie's birthday is coming up. I'm like, oh, thank you, Google. (laughs) I don't know what I'd do without it. It'd be disastrous. We'll see, church, Jesus assured his disciples in us that the Holy Spirit will always be there to remind us of God's truth. It's like that song, there's always something there to remind me. Well, in this case, it's the Holy Spirit. He will always be there to convict us when we stray from God's truth. He will always be there to help us to live by God's truth, and he will always be there to comfort us with God's truth. How many of you are thankful to have the Holy Spirit? Say amen. amen. But again, none of this applies if we're quenching the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The conviction of sin does apply. I mean, the Holy Spirit will convict us at some point. But man, if, if, we, if we want the Holy Spirit's help to walk in God's truth, and we want to be be full of the Spirit, and really moving in the direction God wants us to, we have to submit ourselves uh, to him. And and man, when we do, great things happen. this, This leads us to the third provision for believers, the provision of his peace. Of his peace. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Just hold on a sec. My peace. My peace. It's not just anybody's peace. It's not our idea of peace. It's, it's, it's Jesus' peace he gives to believers. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So what is God's peace? What is, what is the peace of Jesus? Let me illustrate it. Two painters were in a contest where each said they could paint a picture of peace. One painter painted a sunset with the sun going down over the calm water. And it all looked very nice and the picture had a very calming effect. The other painter painted a picture of a storm. And in it the sky was dark and there was lightning and thunder and clouds rolling overhead. And the picture showed the waves crashing against the rocks and and things looked very chaotic. in the corner of the painting at the bottom were two big stones with a bird in the middle of them. And the bird was singing. Friends, this is the type of peace that Jesus promises to believers. Peace where God's calm and God's tranquility overrule your concerns. I've heard it said this way. The world defined peace, peace as the absence of a storm, but God's word promises peace in the midst of a storm. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised his disciples and us peace in the midst of calamity. But again, his peace does not come without our pursuit. Let me show you in scripture. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who what? Say it with me. Love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Isaiah 3, one of my favorite verses of all time. You keep him in perfect peace who what? Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. If our minds aren't stayed on the Lord, how do we expect to have peace? If our minds are not focused on the peace giver, how are we going to have peace? And then Philippians 4, 6 and 7, you guys know these. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything what? By prayer and supplication, prayer is an act of obedience and seeking after the Lord. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, if we want to experience the peace of God, then we need to obey the precepts of God laid out in His Word. The great preacher D.L. Moody said, There will be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. Now, if there was anyone who needed God's peace, it was the disciples, because Jesus was about to leave them. And so in these closing verses, we see uh, that he wasn't going to leave them unprepared. So let's look at verses 28 to 31. You heard me say to you, I am going away and will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, and for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You know, church, one of the biggest struggles as I was preparing this week's sermon was... uh, uh, kind of figuring out what not to talk about. Because like, it seems like everything Jesus said, there's so much you can go uh, on, these, on these trails with. And so I, I wanted to kind of hammer home on some of the, the main points. And, uh, and, and so that's what I'm going to do with these few verses because there's a lot there. And, and, and see, with all the, the nonsense going on in the news, many of you may not have heard that Puerto Rico has been slammed with earthquakes lately. Like, slammed. In fact, just this past week I read, listen to this, crazy number. Just this past week I was reading, 2,000 earthquakes have shaken Puerto Rico since late December. 2,000! If you turn the news on today, you would think nothing else is going on in the world except something stupid political, right? See, the most powerful earthquake was a 6.4 magnitude that hit on January 7th, and so I'm guessing the other 1,999 must have been like smaller ones, right? But to me, any earthquake is an earthquake. Many of you guys, I've told the story. I was in D.C. when that earthquake happened down in D.C. and cracked the the Washington Monument or whatever. I thought the rapture was coming. I was freaking out, and uh, that was just a little guy. Um, But so anyway, I I was reading more about that. Here's the crazy part. According to NASA, the island's ground has shifted when they look at the island. The series of quakes have permanently altered Puerto Rico's land. In church, I share that with you because here, Jesus knew that his arrest and crucifixion would undoubtedly shake the faith of his disciples. By the way, I share Puerto Rico with you as a prayer request, not just to use as an illustration, but we've got to pray for those people uh, down in Puerto Rico. But See, Jesus knew that that, um, what was to come can really shake the faith of his disciples. And so he carefully prepared their hearts for the worst so that their faith would not be permanently altered. And so he said in verse verse 29, and now I have told you before this takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I mean, Jesus spent, you remember that as we studied the gospel of John, Jesus constantly warned the disciples of what was to come. He's like, I'm telling you these things now so then later you may believe. And so, it's this idea of, of when the disciples witness what's going on uh, with Christ on the cross and they all kind of stray and, and abandon him at, at, in this moment where he probably really could have, could have used their, them there, even though it's God, he doesn't need us. But, but man, it would have been a blessing to see your closest followers rally around you, but they all abandon him at the cross. Uh, but, but Jesus told them these words so that after the cross, after all was said and done, they could be like, oh, that's right. And then especially after the resurrection, Jesus told us these things were going to happen all along. And so this idea of preparing yourself uh, for what's to come so that when it does come, it doesn't doesn't hit you so hard. Jesus here was preparing his disciples for the storm. And and church, this is a good reminder that faith-shaking battles are going to happen in our lives. Storms in life are inevitable. However, those who prepare their hearts for the storm are less likely to be washed away by the storm. In the last two verses, Jesus named two of our greatest adversaries, Satan and the world. However, neither Satan nor the world can permanently shake those who are prepared. Why? Because those who are prepared put their hope in the Lord. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle me. He's got judo I never heard of but he can't handle the one to whom I am joined. He can't handle the one to whom I am united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. And so don't try doing battle with the enemy in your own strength when God has given you the Holy Spirit to do the work. And this brings us back to today's truth to remember. The power to obey is provided by God. Now I want you to notice, look how Jesus closes at the end of verse 31. All right, This is profound stuff here. He says, rise, let us go from here. And I, and I find this kind of interesting because some commentators believe at this point everyone left the upper room and they made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus just continued teaching them along the way, hence the next couple of chapters. It's all written in red, so we know Jesus kept on going, right? Other, others believe, other commentators believe that Jesus finished his teaching in the upper room, um, but then he just kind of kept on going. like It was like he, he didn't, he's like, rise, let us go from here, and then he kind of kept on finishing his thoughts. And, and I, as a pastor, I kind of hope it's the latter, because I've been accused on more than one occasion of saying in conclusion and then going on for like another 20 minutes. And so if, if it's the latter, then at least I could say I'm following Jesus' example here, Right? but we don't know for sure. Nevertheless, in conclusion, start your your stopwatches now. In conclusion, I'd like to use Jesus' final statement, rise, let us go from here, as an application point this morning. You see, all believers, or excuse me, as believers, we have the power to obey God because it's provided by God through the Holy Spirit. And as believers, we can claim the provision of God's help and God's love. We, can, we grow in this intimacy with God through obedience and the peace that he gives to uh, believers who walk in obedience to him. And so therefore, as believers, we should rise and go from here in confident and grateful obedience to the one who supplied everything we need to get the job done. Amen? And so, knowing this truth, I I want to close-ish. You always got to leave yourself a little wiggle room. But I do, I want to close by bringing your attention to the words that Jesus emphasized three times to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So church, in our remaining time, I want to exhort you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any areas in your life where you're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. Areas where you're not showing your love for God. And as the Holy Spirit brings these areas to mind, and he will, use this time to repent of those areas and ask God to help you demonstrate your love for him through faithful obedience. And while you just spend a few quiet moments doing that, I feel compelled to to at least share this this truth, which is why I gave myself a little extra time. You know, none of this applies if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And and the very first act of obedience that anybody could do, that that will activate all the other promises of God, is believing in his Son. I I just want to show you John chapter 3, uh, verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? And then, but then John goes on, Whoever does not obey, obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now that word obey is not talking about obeying all these like list of commandments. Obey is linking back to belief. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, Whoever does not obey or believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friend, if you are here this morning and, and you're, you're kind of jiving with what I'm saying and, and you appreciate it, uh, but you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you this morning to place your faith in Christ. To recognize I did this when I was 17 years old. You recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that you can't—good works aren't going to cut it. You can't work your way out of being a sinner, no matter how good and how moral you are. You still fall short of God's glory. But man, when you realize that truth and recognize that Jesus loved you so much to come down and die for you, He was He was preparing His disciples because He was about to go to the cross, and the whole purpose of going to the cross was to die for you and I, to take your sins upon Him. Self so that you might be forgiven. You say, that's crazy talk. It's crazy love is what it is. He loves you that much that he took your penalty away so that you could have the opportunity to go to heaven when you die. So this morning, if you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ, I encourage you in the quietness of your seat as, as, as the rest of the body is, is kind of just asking the Holy Spirit to reveal any areas where they might be quenching him, I, I want you in the quietness of your seat to just... Pray in your own way, like, Lord, I need you and I recognize I'm a sinner and, and, Lord, I want the benefit of eternal life and I want the blessing of the Holy Spirit and I want to live for you, but I recognize I can't do that without first, right here, right now, placing my faith in Jesus. And so, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe in you and I want to follow you the rest of my days. And if you pray something like that and you truly mean it, you just kind of put that stamp of approval on what God's already kind of doing in your hearts, And my friend, today you could leave here being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to invite the praise team forward. And as they come forward, I'm just going to pray over you this morning and over myself. So let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. God admittedly, the Holy Spirit is, is, a, is a challenging, sometimes even intimidating topic, Lord, because there's so much mystery. And Lord, in our, in our finite minds, we cannot grasp the breath of, of your Spirit indwelling us and never leaving us. And, and Lord... There's part of us that's kind of like, what does it even mean to submit to, to the Holy Spirit every day? And I just pray, God, that you would, you would show that to us and help us, Lord, even today, just to say, Lord, what areas of my life am I quenching you? What areas of my life am I living in disobedience? What areas do are I need to trust in you more and take those steps of faith? And, and God, we're just going to believe that your Holy Spirit will, will show those things to us this morning. And, God, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who is not right now indwelled by the Holy Spirit... Lord, convict their hearts and draw them to yourself as only you can. And may may they come to faith in Christ today. In Jesus' name.